This is the weekly Dharma Punks New York gathering online. And I'm really pleased to note that for those of you that are interested, our first retreat in three years is all booked with Garrison Institute and the registration is now live. So if you're interested in doing four days in beautiful upstate New York, easy to get to because there's a train that leaves from Grand Central directly to the Institute. It's a beautiful hour-long ride. And uh, so if you're interested in finding out more, you can stop by Dharma Punks with an XNYC.com, our website. Or you could go directly to the Garrison Institute website, which is easy enough to find. And uh, you'll note that the retreat is over Labor Day weekend, starting from the Thursday, uh, September 1st to September 5th. Thanks for that. And um, just if you'd like to support the work I do, which is offered entirely free of charge, both the teaching and the canceling. Uh, the, the PayPal button is on the website and uh, the Venmo is Dharma Punks with an XNYC. So thanks for that. And tonight, this talk is on how physical ailments that seem like illnesses, real physiological issues can actually have their origins in stress, especially unresolved emotional experiences. So tonight's topic will be on anxiety, stress, and the body, in other words. So I hope this is a topic that might be of some interest. I'll give a talk that will probably be around 35 minutes. There'll be a roughly 25-minute meditation. So that's about the size of it. The topic of illnesses and physical ailments with emotional underpinnings is actually, to my mind, a very important topic. By the age of 14, it seems that 50% of the population will have been diagnosed with psychosomatic illness, seeking help, in other words, for medical help for symptoms that are actually emotionally based. For example, I mean, and we'll use some other examples, but going to a doctor for a stomach disorder that's actually, in fact, the result of, of anxiety, which, of course, activates the HPA axis and literally stops digestion motility and motility and actually can create stomach aches. Uh, people mistake panic attacks for heart attacks. People uh, uh, can uh, somaticize stress as back pain and so on and so forth. The American Academy of Physicians, I read in Astonishing, said that 75% of physician visits are actually the result of stress and or, or are emotional in nature, and that these um, <clears throat> visits can consume up to two-thirds of the medical care expenses that uh, um, 
are you know part of the medical industry so it uses up a huge amount of uh, tension and it's financially uh, very expensive and um, unfortunately of course doctors often fail to recognize disorders that cannot be accounted for by identifiable i guess you'd say physical or organic dysfunction are frequently due to underlying emotional content or stress because of course doctors have to spend so many years just being able to uh, be prepared to deal with all the myriad of very uh, biological diseases there's not enough time to train them in spotting identifying or knowing how to go about giving or providing help for people who have uh, disorders that stem from chronic stress, for example. Individuals feel outraged when they have uh, ailments that are physical in nature that don't get diagnosed properly. And people will uh, tell everybody about how they had a uh, a, a chronic pain or uh, physiological concern, they went to the doctor and the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. But people don't very often talk about how many times their symptoms actually turned out to be the result of anxiety, unresolved emotions, and stress. We don't like to talk about the fact that We've all had at some point or another in our life psychosomatic um, ailments. And so it, it doesn't get the kind of cultural recognition and attention that it deserves. When we say psychosomatic, by the way, it can suggest that the symptoms don't have real physical uh components to them or that there's not pain involved. And that's simply not true. A psychosomatic ailment can start out or have its underpinnings or cause in unresolved emotions or chronic stress. But that doesn't mean that the ongoing activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which tightens involuntary muscles, can't in and of itself eventually create real structural issues and actual pain. We'll talk about back pain, for example, in a moment. But, you know, some of the most painful symptoms that we experience uh, and are common, such as headaches, migraines, chronic pain in the back, neck, shoulders, constipation, exhaustion, irritable bowel syndrome, not to mention all of the other digestive disorders uh, Crohn's and so forth, and uh, uh, herpes, which all have outbreaks due to a buildup of stress. So um, I'm going to talk now about the theories of how uh, psychosomatic or illnesses or disorders that stem from uh, emotional or psychological uh, have origins. Uh, there's a lot of different insights into the process uh, 
that's involved. And in these insights, we can also discuss treatments and ways to go about addressing chronic pain and so forth. So for example, uh, one of the most dominant, of course, insights is the nature of chronic stress and physiological ailments. Long durations of feeling pressured by life and our responsibilities, demanding jobs, financial burdens, caretaking, and so forth, uh, lead to chronic sympathetic nervous system activation. And again, we tense our involuntary muscle groups, which then in turn leads to real physical ailments or gastrointestinal problems, changing in breathing, insomnia, and so forth. So the while the roots are stress, the uh, underpinning are, 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 are psychological. The result is that there's a very real physical pain and even sometimes injury that can result. So we all, for example, want to believe that back pain, that our back pain especially, is because we believe we have bad backs. <laughs> it's pretty common to believe that. Uh, but in the uh, many uh, doctors now believe that upwards of 90% of back pain is actually stress, uh, not due to uh, physiological uh, injuries or uh, uh, physiological uh, disorders of the back. There's an epidemic of chronic back pain in this country, certainly. But guess what? Uh, chronic back pain is almost entirely limited to industrial nations. There's virtually no uh, epidemic or reports of chronic back pain in developing countries, even though people there do far more backbreaking labor, sleep on poor mattresses, and don't have the comfortable environments and work far longer hours. So if, for example, the chronic back pain that people suffered was entirely physiological in nature, that wouldn't be the case. Second of all, uh, back pain is almost entirely a 20th, 20th century and 21st century uh, epidemic. You don't find medical uh, uh, articles or reports about back pain before the 20th century. So it seems that there's something about the stresses of the industrialized uh, workplace that has exacerbated or created, generated uh, chronic back pain. Uh, it turns out that psychological stress, especially job dissatisfaction, is the sole predictor of who develops back pain, not the physical demands of one's life. Uh, interestingly, 70% of those who uh, don't experience back pain uh, show MRIs that have the same herniated discs, spinal degeneration, pinched nerves that is so commonly blamed for chronic back pain. In fact, if you do an MRI on anyone's back, the chances are very good, it will look horrific, but only people who are under stress seem to develop um, pain. And if you'd like to look, there's lots of really good science on this. Uh, guy at Harvard doctor wrote a piece on the curious case of 
chronic back pain. And of course, the work of Sarno, Healing Back Pain, talks about just how uh, much Western medicine, when it tries to operate or inject uh, steroids and all that into backs, how often it fails, and that the only real way to completely treat back pain is to encourage people to make um, changes and in their life, addressing their work-life balance, and of course, leaving jobs that are inherently stressful or, um, you know, uh, overly demanding or unrewarding. So that's one theory, the chronic stress theory. The second um, understanding, and I, I'd say that these are all, um, the, all of these insights are of value and can be used to determine what is the underlying causation of psychosomatic or psychogenic um, diseases. Um, so the second is that uh, cognitive belief about illness also can create dysphoric symptoms. What does that mean? Well, it means early on in life, we acquire beliefs about being ill based on how we, what we, we see in our parents and the behavior of adults uh, around us. We observe and we develop beliefs about whether it's okay to be ill, how much support you'll get from being ill, uh, whether being ill reduces punishments and offers an escape from obligations that are dreaded, such as homework, school, chores, etc. So these learnings, the theory of in cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, others, is that in childhood, we observe that getting sick sometimes, for example, can get us out of going to school or can get us out of the unpleasant demands of our family systems. And that leads to, in turn, avoidance behaviors. We mimic or we uh, learn that if we feign illness or act as if we're ill or exaggerate or talk about our symptoms, that we get excused from things we don't want to do. And over time, this these reactions become automatic. We're not even aware anymore that we're employing them to get out of dreaded obligations. But that's not only the end of it. Uh, CBT also talks about learned fears. If someone in your family says to you, you know, uh, heart attacks have killed so many people in our family, what that will result in is ongoing attention to your body. And that increases the likelihood that completely innocuous symptoms like sudden spikes of heart beat or pulse will be mistaken for uh, you know, something serious like a heart attack and so forth. And negative beliefs as well about the dangers of being ill can just focus an anxious attention on the body, which again will highlight physiologic, normal physiological pains, which will be misinterpreted and lead to a constant seeking of diagnosis. So what this means is that early on in life, we can develop irrational beliefs about illness, which in turn 
can create symptoms that are misinterpreted as medical or physiological in nature. And uh, very often in this, addressing this uh, tendency, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is really benefit beneficial. And this can be spotted whenever people who get sick or back pains or some kind of injury right before they have to do something that they find unpleasant. So if somebody always gets sick before uh, having to speak in public, it's pretty obvious what could be the etiology there. Now, um, my favorite insight, I have to say, growing up in a half Buddhist, half Freudian family is Freud's theory of somatic disorders, which is also known as his theory of conversion. And it's a really fascinating insight that Freud had. Uh, Freud believed that uh, we all have painful memories associated with our relationships <coughs> uh, or events. We could call them unpleasant experiences. And these memories we don't like to remember. So we suppress them. We push them out of awareness. Well, that would be all and good if these unpleasant memories and also desires that we have, which might be incompatible with our family systems, desires to uh, be sexual or to be creative that are stymied by our environment. So all these things we repress and push out of consciousness, they don't like being suppressed. They want to return back up to consciousness. They don't want to be forgotten. And so when these <clears throat> uh, compartmentalized desires and painful memories start to return, the first thing that happens is, Freud said, we employ defense mechanisms. We deflect the tension. We obsess about other things in our life. We become, uh, we engage in intellectual activities or we, we deflect the emotions onto other people or so on and so forth. But eventually the, 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 the memories we don't want to face, the desires we don't want to express, the feelings we don't want to know about, they keep trying to return. And Freud says that creates anxiety. And over time, um, then what we'll do when our defense mechanisms fail is we'll engage in addictions. People will drink or use drugs or shop or eat food. And this battle between the unconscious painful memories and, uh, and desires that are unacceptable to others as they arise, the conflict creates what Freud called somatization or physical ailments, muscle pain, weakness, tics, exhaustion, insomnia, uh, and so forth. So, these symptoms are not biologically caused. They are, um, in fact, to Freud, uh, they are uh, stemming from an internal conflict between what has happened and, and uh, we've repressed versus the energy to keep those unwanted feelings out of awareness. Um, 
they can almost be looked at, the body now becomes a kind of symbol representing all of the unwanted emotional events of our life we don't want to look at. Uh, stemming from this early theory called conversion, there's now a lot of SE, trauma, and uh, psychomotor uh, psychotherapies and, and so on that have wonderful insights. And that boils down to the idea that painful, even traumatic experiences, particularly in relationships such as being shamed, abused, abandoned, not seen, and so forth, can result in a kind of dissociative response that first will fawn, will try to be compliant, but over time, if the abuse, abandonment, the shaming, the neglect is bad enough, we dissociate. We no longer become fully aware of one, processing what's happening, and two, being aware of how the body feels in this these toxic relationships. And over time, it what it does what's called uncoupling. It it separates the physical expression of painful emotions from the external interpersonal events. And over time, uh, we can't acknowledge just or accept that certain relationships in our life, one, are damaging, and two, we won't be able to realize that due to the nature of these damaging relationships, we now have chronically tight backs, abdominal and digestive disorders, we now have arteriosclerosis or real, real painful physical ailments due to the fact that in the aftermath of all this dissociation, we're chronically tightening our bodies and chronically in the sympathetic fight, flight, or dissociation shutdown mode. By adult years, if the link between emotions and external events are severed, um, we won't be able to understand just when physical pain, discomfort, tightening, uh, and all that are really just expressions of fear, unresolved anger, grief, and so forth. So what Freud and this trauma theory all boil down to is that early environmental failures, such as um, uh, unresolved uh, emotions stemming from toxic uh, attachment scenarios um, can lead to somatization or psychosomatic disorders. Um, this is why examining our early attachment bonds is so crucial if we have chronic pain. The developing mind depends entirely on the primary caregiver to help us understand our emotions, to label our emotions, to soothe our emotions, to create an environment where it's safe to feel and be with our 
affects without um, cutting them off. And so those who grow up in poor attachment bonds don't learn how to recognize and process their emotions. And thus their emotions can begin to seem, especially the physical part of their emotions, the tight stomach, tight back, the chronic neck you know, tightening and all that, and the pains that result over time can begin to just seem as strange symptoms that are totally disconnected from our emotional environment. So for example, the child who's bullied at school uh, will have a tight stomach and ache and fail to recognize this as fear. And so too will their parent fail to recognize it as fear. And then they'll be sent to the doctor and the doctor won't recognize it as fear. And they'll prescribe, you know, maybe even uh, some kind of medication. And so over this entire process, no one recognizes that these ailments are real signals that something's wrong in the child's environment. I, uh, it's funny when, I'm uh, not funny, uh, kind of classic, when I was in my early 40s and was very much deeply in the Buddhist life and uh, practicing and thought I was still, was pretty on top of having great discernment into the uh, the way my mind and body uh, linked together and worked. But um, there was a, a couple of occasions when my father, who was associated with a lot of trauma in my childhood, would come over and I'd immediately get this just huge back pain. I'd be on my knees just in agony. And it was because I still had more work to do. One, uh, delving into some of the trauma from those two those years, and also two, examining from a you know a, a cognitive perspective how I still had some of that unconscious belief that having a physical ailment would get me out of having to deal with my father because that's the way I escaped it when I was very young. So the Buddha taught that in addition to what he called the basic suffering of life, which is physical pain or dukkha, there's another prevalent pain, which is called viparinama. Viparinama is that the people, places, the things, the situations we cling to for security often don't become available. All things are impermanent. And sometimes our favorite people, our favorite relationships um, dissipate, wane, or entirely evaporate. And this, for the Buddha, this instability in the world around us creates what he calls dukkha viparinama, which is a physical expression, largely physical expression of pain that is due to the very unreliable nature of the world around us. And it's our inability to accept and make sense of change, viparinama or uh, 
uh, anatta, Nietzsche, and so forth, the impermanence of the world around us, that we take losses personally, and this creates even more physical pain. It's interesting that the great um, contemporary psychologist, Matthew Lieberman, who's done so much work on pain, shows that the exact same region of the brain known as the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex that processes physical pain also processes emotional pain. And that uh, it's just, it, it expresses just as much uh, and highlights the body, pain in the body, the same way when it's the loss of a friend or a relationship as it does when we stub our toe or break a finger and so on and so forth. So it's very, very difficult for the mind to distinguish between pain that's physical and mental in origin. And finally, um, the Buddhist approach to addressing the somatic nature of so much illness is, of course, based on mindfulness. That's a form of meditation in which we focus on our present experience, especially in terms of what we're experiencing internally. So whether we're in a difficult conversation, washing the dishes, walking down the street, or commuting, or uh, engaging in very difficult work, we take time to stop, to focus on what we're experiencing presently, internally, without the distortion of thought or judgment or evaluation. We just become aware of the internal experience. And in this meditation, we start by first focusing on body sensations in and of themselves. But then second, we move on to feelings, which are embodied sensations that are emotional in nature. And this is the key. In this practice of mindfulness, what we're doing is we're noting what is just an ambient or naturally occurring body sensation versus what is a uh, emotional sensation in the body. What is a emotional response to what's going on around us? And in so doing, mindfulness develops the capacity for us to become more and more aware of just how much our experience is not necessarily physiological in origin, but actually how much of our body sensations, pains, discomforts, and so on and so forth are responses to changes in our environment or changes in what we're thinking about or focusing our attention on. So in this way, mindfulness is exceedingly useful in helping us begin the process of becoming aware of when um, uh, pains are essentially uh, emotional or psychological in nature. In 2019, uh, four clinicians split between doctors and psychologists published um, a wonderful study, Mindfulness-Based Therapy for Psychogenetic Symptoms, 
And they noted that in as short as 12 sessions, 70% of the participants experienced a reduction in their symptoms. 70%. 50% experienced freedom from the symptoms. That means half of the people who completed the course found themselves no longer experiencing the symptoms. And in this case, some of the symptoms involved literally seizures stopped occurring. So we're going to be doing this practice um, as a way to give us a new handle on uh, being aware of when the sensations of our body are are emotional versus non-emotional in nature. Uh, in summary, it's important to prioritize our well-being over our work, especially if our work environments are stressful or unrewarding, because that will lead to avoidance behaviors that in turn can turn into chronic automatic uh, practices that will mistake for being real physical ailments. It's important to be willing to look into our present and past relationships, um, especially it's helpful to do that if we have chronic pain in therapy, especially when chronic pain is not quickly diagnosed. Um, it's worthwhile looking into it with the help of uh, any kind of therapeutic professional, because very often simply beginning to dive into uh, the origins of one's emotional conflicts immediately lead to significant relief in, in chronic pain. Um, and so I really believe that uh, when chronic pain is unresolved after a number of visits, it's worth looking into the possibility that a, a lot of it is due to unrecognized conflicts or stress. And uh, yeah, so <clears throat> with that, um, I would encourage you to relax and we're gonna remove hopefully a lot of that stress and conflict. And we're gonna first do a concentration meditation and then we're gonna practice uh, basic mindfulness uh, meditation technique, which we're gonna focus on discerning the difference between ambient physical pain versus emotional physical pain. So thanks for listening. and finding that comfortable seated position. Closing the eyes. And just take a moment to really settle into whatever you are sitting on or lying on. Let the ground or the chair or the couch or the bed or whatever you're using or the floor, just allow it to completely support you and see if you can release any physical effort you put into keeping yourself in whatever position you're in, allowing yourself to sink into 
your support. Take a moment to, if it feels right for you, rotate the shoulders back to open up the chest so that there's more room for the inhalation. And let's take a nice full breath, extending the belly and then releasing it. Letting the abdominal muscles soften. So settling into whatever feels like the most comfortable rhythm of breathing. Especially paying attention to the exhalations, which are kind of the break for the nervous system. The inhalation is kind of like stepping on the gas when you're driving. And then the brakes are the exhalation engages the parasympathetic nervous system. So you want to get just the right rhythm to match just how fast you want your mind to be working right now. If you really want it to, if you're struggling to stay awake, you a little bit more of the gas on, meaning you breathe a little bit more effort into the breath, really filling up the lungs, really paying attention to the inhalation. But if you feel your mind is moving a little too fast and you want to slow it down, you put the pump the brakes by really focusing on the length of the exhalation.
And just keep practicing bringing the awareness back again and again to just either being with the breath or if you'd prefer just cycling around the body, relaxing anything that feels tense or tight or You could listen to sounds arising and passing without putting any effort into searching for sounds, just open awareness to anything that is auditory that passes through perception.
It's okay if your mind wanders away from the present, gets lost. The practice is mostly at first just making returning to the present moment as pleasant, judgment-free. There's no stick. It's all carrot in terms of we don't judge or evaluate our meditation. We just use it as a way to drop in and find the unconditionally available peace or ease that so much of our life we're looking for. We don't have to, when we have a practice, go anywhere, pay for anything, wait for a vacation. It's available the moment we have a short, small chunk of time. We can drop in and touch into that quality of letting go of all the responsibilities, the obligations. It's like taking that long journey to a special place, arriving, putting down your bags, settling into that most comfortable chair, maybe by a body of water, beach, a mountain, and just settling in and just releasing. It's not the place that provides these, it's the willingness to let go and just drop all the stories about all the unresolved issues. Just come back to this moment, relax the body.
So at this point, if you reach some quality of ease, just start to take a survey of how your body feels, seated, lying down, without much going on. How does the muscles in your neck feel? How do, are they tight or relaxed? How do the muscles in your back feel? Do they feel tense around the shoulders or maybe the lower back or do they feel pretty good, pretty relaxed? Again, letting go of any concern about the world around us and just be fully present and just notice the ongoing state of the body when you let go of all of the concerns and stories, issues that are unresolved. Notice if your belly feels tight or relaxed. Do you feel the breath moving, expressing itself easily in this area of the body, the belly, the abdomen? Noting if the micro muscles around the eyes are relaxed, if uh, the brow and the eyes feel relaxed. And notice if the breath feels like it's got a very relaxed rhythm. Does the breath feel comfortable? Does your exhalations feel long and smooth or not? So at this point, what I invite you to do now that you've got a good sense of what your body is like when we've dropped all the concerns with the world around us, 
is to now bring to mind, either by visualizing it or just the idea of something in your life that feels unresolved or stressful, maybe concerns about work, finances, a primary relationship in your life that has conflict in it, or maybe upcoming events, obligations that are somewhat dreaded or at least not pleasantly anticipated. So bring up the problematic. Hold an image that represents a problematic, a difficult person, hold their image, or just repeat some issue in your mind that's associated with a challenging, maybe difficult part of life right now. And once you have that in mind, I'd like you now to scan the same areas of the body and notice if any area has become clenched or tight. For some, we might begin to notice a subtle tightness in the lower back, or maybe the abdomen will slightly clench. Maybe we'll start to feel the breath shift and the exhalations will become cut off. Maybe the forehead becomes tight and the eyes, the micro muscles around them don't feel very relaxed. <clears throat> Maybe we'll notice that there's a subtle shift in posture that creates a slightly awkward imbalance in how we hold the neck or maybe the muscles in the shoulders begin to lift. The goal here is just to notice where your body expresses, holds, the external tensions of life. It may not be apparent at first, but this simple practice, if we employ it for even a brief period of our meditation over time, we can begin to have a aha moment where we spot, oh, yeah, that's where I hold all my disappointment or frustration with work or friends or even loved ones. For me, very often, I feel it in a tight belly that is not tight before I bring to mind the challenging and difficult which has made clear to me just how much at times in the past where 
stomach ailments have actually been emotional symptoms. So at this point, you can let go of the image that represents the challenging issue. Just allow your mind and body to return to the present and allow your body to once again see if it can find that state of ease that, or whatever state was present before we purposely brought to mind the difficult. Just flushing out all of the unresolved issues, the conflicts, and just let us come back to this present moment where nothing's going on, finding again that comfortable breath, softening the belly, and then whenever you're ready, taking your time, you can open your eyes.